The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line we have Andy Medic, the MP for the Animal Justice Party for Western Victoria in the Upper House. Andy, good morning. Good morning, Mitchell. How are you? Good. Thank you for being on the program. And yeah, I really enjoyed the weekend getting out there and uh, being part of Metropolitan Melbourne again. I'm sure people from Melbourne enjoyed coming down here, but also a very, very big weekend with lots of big names in the news cycle. Mm, that, that's very true. And look, it, it was really wonderful to see you know, Victoria reunited again. Um, and, and I'm so much looking forward to interstate travel and international travel again as well. Um, here on the surf coast, you're right, it was very busy. Um, I made sure I got out and about to have a look around and, and chat to people. And yeah, look, everyone is just so happy to be to be back out and Victoria is one and mingling again and, and you know, spending money in the businesses that have been doing it so hard. And I read that the first flight from Singapore without hotel quarantine is touching down in Melbourne at 10 o'clock this morning, so about an hour to go. Does that make people feel nervous that not only here in regional Victoria, I mean, a week ago you couldn't come here from Melbourne and now all of a sudden you've got potentially people coming in from Singapore, people coming in from all parts of the state. Uh, Should we feel nervous about the spread of the virus as a result? Look, I think that it's only natural for people to to feel very nervous about that, um, you know, with what we've been through. And, and, you know, we're not out of this yet, not by a long stretch. Um, so, you know, I think it's very natural for people to feel nervous, but it must be stated that we have to remember that these first few flights that are coming in at least are returning Australians who have been vaccinated. And, um, and so, you know, the, the risk factors are far less than what they might be if it was just normal international travel. Now, of course, the legislation, it's a very big topic of discussion. And as an Upper House MP, I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions about this particular legislation, the legislation that the government's bringing in to replace how they currently enforce lockdowns and the other pandemic measures. I suppose the question is, does this legislation go too far in your view in that? Are there sufficient checks and balances? I think a lot of people are happy to see a lockdown come back if we need to have it for whatever reason, medical reasons to um, support our hospitals. But are there enough checks and balances and is there enough opportunity in this legislation for Parliament to scrutinise it? Oh, look, ab- absolutely. Um, look, one of the main criticisms of um, what we had before was that you know, a state of emergency legislation was not the right legislative framework fit um, for a pandemic, but we did not have anything in place. Um, the criticism I might have of the government is that they've taken too long to draft this legislation. Um, I, I commend them, though, for actually going ahead and doing it, for recognising that the state of emergency was unfit for purpose. Um, and, you know, to follow on from what other jurisdictions have done, you know, New South Wales have done this, uh, New Zealand have done this, um, so it, it's good to see that. And, and it's no secret that I was also involved in framing parts of this legislation, not all of it. Um, you know, there were things that I put forward that I wanted to see and I'm pleased to see that the, the checks and balance side of things that I wanted to put forward were there. And, and that is an independent committee um, that is made up of human rights experts, um, prominent lawyers, um, all sorts of different people, professionals in their field, you know, um, uh, epidemiologists, um, virologists, etc., so that they can examine um, every uh, every measure that is undertaken during a pandemic. Um, let's say we come out of this one, fingers crossed, and let's talk about a future one. They can examine every measure that the government wants to impose, um, and they can recommend to suspend or or revocate those. You know, to actually 
take them away and say, no, that's going too far. And that oversight extends into sort of the parliament itself in that the scrutiny of acts of regu- and regulations committee or SARC will also have oversight on, on revocation or suspension of any particular measure or order and, and bring those to a vote of both houses. So any part or, or whole can be revocated. It can be gotten rid of if it's deemed to be going too far. And the, the thing about that too is the legislation as a whole is also not permanent. And, and that was the problem under an SOE too, is that we now are going to be moving to a piece of legislation that is revoked when it's deemed no longer to be necessary. So it sits in the background and hopefully it's never needed to be used again. Much like a state of emergency is used for fire and flood, for instance, when the emergency is deemed to be passed, it's revocated and it's put back in the background and only brought out of the cupboard when it's needed. This will be exactly the same. Now, there are a few other measures of the checks and balances. I've heard concerns about people's privacy. Um, So built into this legislation is also QR code protection, similar to what was brought in in Western Australia where police can't access that information without a Supreme Court order. But ours goes far further. In fact, it's probably the most stringent protections in the world in that it protects the personal information of a particular person and those that they talk about during a contact tracing interview. So all of that information is also kept completely private and is not available to police. Now, police can make a Supreme Court order or an application to have that released to them if they're involved in an ongoing investigation, but it will be only released to them if it is deemed that it is in relation to a pandemic measure, so for no other reason. So police won't be able to overstep the mark and use these powers for any other reason. The independent committee that you talk about, one, who appoints them, and two, how much power do they have in that if they recommend that a certain measure goes too far, does the Premier or the government of the day have to follow their advice? Well, it is um, appointed by the government of the day, um, and that's an important important point to make. So at this point in time, it would be the Andrews government that appoints these people. Um, But if we have a change of government, well, then it's open to that government to remove those people and appoint others that it sees fit. And and there'll be natural attrition along the way as well. You know, um, people who serve on that committee will decide at some point that they want to retire or they have other things they want to pursue, so they might resign from that committee and others will need to step up to the plate in that regard. Um, Now, in terms of of how much power they have, well, you know, if you have to put the faith that the government will listen to what they have to say. If you look at the current system that we have at the moment in that the government continually has made decisions that have been based upon the recommendations of the chief health officer and they have not varied from that. So they've taken the advice and that they've used that and said, this is the expert, these are the experts in this field, we will follow their advice. Um, you would hope that any government would do exactly the same on recommendations from an independent committee. Take that advice and act on it. I see that the government is apparently going through a bit of a legal process at the moment over whether or not the health advice that contributed to this February lockdown uh, that we had here in Victoria, whether or not that should be released. And the government lawyers are saying, no, it shouldn't be released because this gives too much insight into the sort of internal machinations around government. Do you think that the information should be released? In other words, is more transparency better than less? Oh, look, anything that is not cabinet in confidence should be publicly released, absolutely. 
um, you know, the, the recommendations of the chief health officer, the, the experts, you know, the, the, the actual medical advice, um, any legal advice that the government sought and received, provided it doesn't betray cabinet in confidence. Well, absolutely, certainly. And that is also a feature of, of what is going to be coming in these pandemic legislation laws, is that um, the, the government is, is beholden to release all information, not just to the parliament, which is what's been before in that it's, you know, information had to be tabled, um, but it has to be tabled in the parliament, but also to the public, either within six days or within 14 days of an order being made, whichever is the soonest. So, you know, or, or the most practical, you know, so that information will be made available to the public to have a look at. And that speaks to also more transparency than what we've had. I heard a QC say, yes, it says in the legislation that uh, they have to put out the health orders, but there's no actual mechanism or punishment in place or any sort of action taken if they fail to do that. Should there be that sort of provision to make sure that uh, that obligation is followed through? And by the way, when I talk about this, we're not just talking about the current government. We have to imagine how future governments Mm. may uh, use this legislation as well. Oh, look, absolutely. And just on that point, um, in this legislation, it is now the, the minister and the, the premier who sign off on these declarations and all of these powers if they need to be used. Now, this was something that, I, and I have no problems in saying this, I was against that measure. Um, and I was against it because right the way through this pandemic, I have said I would rely upon the recommendations of the health experts. What do they say? What do they believe needs to happen to protect the, pub- the public? And, and that's what I would rely on. Now, all the way through, others in the parliament, um, not just on the opposition benches, but other cross benches have been calling for that to be removed and placed in the hands of uh, the Premier and um, the and the minister and, and the most high profile of those was was no other than you know the leader current leader of the opposition Matthew Guy who said so in front of the cameras on October nine and now that that has been done they've changed their position they backflipped and said no it should be reliant upon the, the health advice and the chief health officer so you know this is a bit duplicitous and and, and speaks to me of the fact that they're. They're not effectively being in opposition. They're just, you know, whatever position the government is taking, they're just taking the opposite, regardless of whether it's it's, it's factual or good or not. You know, that's not effective opposition. That's, you know, effective opposition is saying, well, look, you know, we've examined this and we've changed our mind based upon this. I'd have much more respect for that. Um, But, yeah, look, I I didn't want that. And I'm worried about that particular um, avenue because in a future government... There is nothing to stop a minister or a premier from going against good public health policy because they might, you know, they might be tied too closely to, to industry. Um, and, and we see decisions made on climate, climate policy, for instance, where governments are in the pockets of, you know, um, mining corporations, etc. And so we don't go as far as we should. Um, and that's my concern that a public health measure which will keep people safe, will be compromised for political expediency. On to some other issues. Tim Smith, can you still remain in Parliament if you're found guilty? Not that he's been found guilty as yet, but he confesses that he was caught drink driving. Can you remain in Parliament if you've been guilty of drink driving? Uh, well, you know, we've seen the example of, of you know, former member for Western Victoria, um, Simon Ramsey, um, it, it, look, this is probably a question more for the, you know, the legal experts, whether 
um, it, it contravenes um, any of the laws regarding being a member of parliament. And I believe that'll come down to whether um, there's a threshold, I believe, of, of conviction. Um, but as in terms of staying in the parliament um, currently until that's all settled, look, that's that's a matter for the Liberal Party themselves um, to decide. Um, you know, I, I don't think it behoves anyone um, to to make any public comment upon that. Um, I, I certainly won't make anything further than that. And the Melbourne Cup is, of course, on tomorrow. And I think we talk about this a fair bit, but it's just amazing how the calendar really sets racing as a focal point, you know, in that restrictions have sort of just come off just in time for the big racing day. So clearly a very big part of the public psyche and the government's focus. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around the Melbourne Cup running tomorrow and will you be doing anything? Will you be out there protesting or taking any action? Well, look... (laughs) I think my thoughts on racing in general are are kind of well known. You know, I I don't believe it's a good industry. I think it should be shut down. Yeah, it's a a killer of horses. Um, The Melbourne Cup particularly um, has been of recent times absolutely shocking in that regard with so many horses dying. And I'm hoping that in its running tomorrow that we won't see another horse die. Um, But, you know, the the odds are, are kind of stacked against that. Um, I, I don't agree with it in general, and I would like to see it shut down. As to whether I tend to protest or not, well, you know, that remains to be seen. You know, I'll um, take advice from my team, and I'll also talk to, um, you know, uh, look to see what uh, the current, you know, regulations around gatherings, public gatherings, and and, and whether, but you know, that'll determine whether I tend to protest or not. Um, if I do, it will certainly be in keeping with any of the regulations that are in place, whether that's, you know, having a mobile QR code check-in, um, you know, maintaining social distancing, all the things that, you know, you would normally do in this situation. And I have to say as well, just on that, um, in terms of the legislation, I've been sat here going through the explanatory memorandum this morning and I'll be going through the legislation over the next couple of weeks with a, with a fine-tooth comb, um, you know, and I'll be actually pushing um, for the right to protest, you know, that people should be able under certain, all circumstances, provided they're not putting anyone else at risk during the pandemic, that they should be able to have a protest regardless of what that's about and what their political affiliations are and they shouldn't be detained for that. I uh, haven't been out protesting in the pandemic, as you can imagine. I feel like this microphone gives me enough of an ability to communicate my thoughts on things. But um, are you saying that protests actually have a mobile QR code? In other words, you can go around and actually check into a protest with the Service Victoria app. That's fascinating. Well, I'm not sure of that. That's what I want to find out. That's what I'm saying. You know, if that is available, if that's an option, and uh, I would certainly look to attend. Um, But look, in all honesty, um, this year... Um, I think my attention is going to be on these 116 pages of legislation that I want to get through um, to, to have the time to go and do that as much as I would like to be there. Um, I, I want to give this bill my full attention. And final issue, has your electorate office moved? Because uh, some people, including Simon Ramsey, who used to occupy that office, have been pointing out that the office uh, where it was looks a bit different now. Well, certainly, yes, we are moving. Uh, we're in the process of moving um, to a new location. Um, 
that office there was was a, a bit tired. Um, it, there was a, a certain amount of renovations that needed to be made to bring it up to current OHS standards, um, which included access for, um, for for wheelchairs, etc. That just didn't have, um, and the renovations were going to be rather expensive, and and to the point where it just wasn't economically viable. So moving to a new office that had all of those sorts of things readily available and just a renovation of that office was was what was required. So that's that's what we're in the middle of doing and we're looking at this stage um, entering that office I think mid-December is the time frame I've been given. Is it in the Geelong CBD or? Yeah, it's in the the CBD still um, and that'll be the TAC building um, on Brougham Street. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being on the program. Appreciate it very much and we'll talk to you again next month for what will be the final time of the year. Can you believe it? Oh, it hasn't gone by despite the fact that you know, we've been in lockdown and, and all the terrible things that have been going on around the world. The, the time still has flown. It certainly has. Thank you very much. Andy Medic with us there from the Animal Justice Party. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.